Welcome to the Actually Connecting Podcast, where emotions, consciousness, and connecting come first. Hello, hello, welcome. This is the Actually Connecting Podcast with Dan Brew. I'm really excited. This is where emotions, consciousness, and connecting come first. We have an awesome, awesome guest on today, and I'm really excited to speak with her. Her name is Mayan Gordon. She is the founder of Monkey Boy Art Glassblowing. She is a TikTok, LinkedIn, social media guru, and she's looking for brand partnerships and music promotions kind of on the day to day. She is busy, and I'm excited to hear a little bit about her story kind of what, and some things we've talked about in the past. Mayan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. Thanks so much for having me. Cool, cool, cool. How's your day been so far? It's been really good. You know, got got work done. Um, yeah. I've had some creative ideas, which always feels really good. Yeah. Um, and I've gotten to hang out a bit, bit with my dogs as well, which is nice. That's everything, especially because you really do like you've you've kind of blown up a little bit on social media, TikTok, LinkedIn. You, you've got a good following and presence around you. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty interesting because I've always, you know, operated my own businesses for the most part, and social media has always been a tool for sales. And right now, mm-hmm. it's something that's um, become beyond that. It's something much more, almost powerful than a sales tool, um, and that's something I'm really enjoying experiencing. What do you mean? What what was the switch there? When it what switched it from sales to being powerful? Yeah, I would say two things. One was the real, I would say, realization of the power of video and how new video is in its existence of what it's really truly going to be. So we've had video around in movie format for such a long time that we've normalized its existence, but it hasn't existed on our phones, in our pockets, accessible every second of the day. really in any reasonable capacity until like a couple years ago when a video could load quickly on your phone without glitching. Um, And when the quality got good enough where you actually wanted to watch the video instead of it being super fuzzy and grainy and and not high definition. So realizing that video is going to be the future for storytelling, for marketing, for connecting people um, really made me put a lot more thought into video. Um, and then I'd say also, you know, hopping on LinkedIn. So, you know, that's what TikTok really kind of had me focus on and taught me. What LinkedIn really had me realize is the power of creating relationships through sharing um, experiences and analysis and just insights, like sharing your your insights and where you got those insights um, and making yourself into kind of like a primary resource that people can get um, information and do research on that that's a really powerful, powerful thing because you really mm-hmm. only know so much of your own value ever. You can never know where the things that you are skilled at or the things that you've learned or experienced might apply in an incredible, valuable way to other people in other places. Um, and so just putting it out there, the things that you have experienced, the thing, the insights that you've gained from those experiences I think opens up a new level of relationships to form. Um, And then also just, you know, constant work on myself and internally and on personal growth has led to incredible growth in my businesses, I would say, and in my social media life as well. I totally agree. Um, Well, okay. So 
what is your story? Kind of how, where did you come from that you realized you needed to do self work and growth? Cause I think that in itself is a huge step into figuring like, I want to make myself better. Yeah, absolutely. So that started out just from, um, I'd say growing up in a childhood where I was always aware that I wasn't fully happy. Um, and certainly I had tons of amazingly happy moments. Um, and there were many things I enjoyed. I would say overall, I had a relatively happy childhood. Um, but remember just, you know, lots of times when I would think to myself and ref reflect from even a very early age that like, how come the world doesn't work in this way that when I read an amazing book or a fairy tale or I feel like how the world should be, how come those things don't coexist um, and they're not congruent? And just, you know, realizing that one, it's because we as human beings do not act always in the way or portray ourselves in the way or communicate in the way that we intend. Um, and that that requires work for you to think my intentions are purely good and for them to actually come out as purely good are two completely, mm -hmm. completely different things. And I think mm -hmm. the world is filled with people who have, you know, incredibly good intentions, but don't often execute or act fully on those intentions because it. Uh, human beings are just so complex um, and there's so many other emotions that are, are contradicting and confusing us. And a lot of times we haven't been taught how to sort out our different emotions and like separate them. Um, and because we are, our brains are so powerful, we can feel like 10 different emotions at one time. Um, and for yeah, most yeah. people, myself included, that was always overwhelming. Um, and so, you know, when I was growing up having periods of time when I would over or get emotionally overwhelmed, right? Where you have like a so-called breakdown or just even if it's not an external breakdown, internally, you're, you are breaking down and you're miserable, so to speak, or even just in that moment being miserable, thinking I don't want to experience any of these kinds of moments again in my life that are relatively self-inflicted, right? Like you, you see other people going through a similar experience and at least to you, you don't perceive that they're miserable. And so you start mm -hmm. to think, why? Why am I miserable in this situation? Um, and so just tons and tons of, I'd say, self-reflection around when I wasn't happy. And then I would say, you know, always pursuing happiness at the same time. So realizing the things that did make me happy, which um, I would say was problem solving. Like I always really enjoyed school up until I got to college because there were always really wonderful problems to solve. Um, mm -hmm. whether it was an academic problem or whether it was me figuring out the school system as a problem. Like, how do I get a better, um, you know, something on my, on my transcript or how do I get a better opportunity or how do I, you know, get access to this type of program or this scholarship? Um, those kind of problems always, I thought they were a lot of fun to try and pursue and overcome. But then when I got to college, it changed from, I'd say, a problem solving environment to, just an information dissemination um, environment where it was lectures and textbooks and there was no discussion. Mm -hmm. um, and I love discussion. I think almost all of our learning comes through interaction with other, other people. Um, and yes, we, we learn a lot of things through observation of, you know, videos of let's say nature or reading a textbook, but really where we learn both intellectually and emotionally at the same time is through dialogue and observation of dialogue. And so that's something I always really noticed that like I loved 
dialogue learning much, much more than, mm -hmm. than text-based learning or, or reading or watching a video. Um, even though videos are fun, they're much more fun to watch than reading a textbook, it still doesn't even compare to when you're in an engaging and exciting conversation. Um, and so Absolutely. I, I really didn't have any type of focus when I was young outside of these are things I hate to do. How do I minimize doing those things? And here are things I love mm -hmm. to do. How do I do more of those things? Um, and luckily, I think that helped me form really strong work habits because some of the things I love to do required a lot of work. So basketball required a lot of work. You know, the more you work at it, the better you are at it. And I, I like winning. I've always been really competitive. Um, and so it was easy for me to put in the hard work to, to try and win. Um, also, again, because I like the sport, I like all the, you know, I like dribbling. I like shooting. I like all the components. Um, and same thing I would say for, for school on, on most levels is I like reading. I like writing. Um, I liked a significant amount of the subject matter. Now, I didn't always like the style that we were forced to do it in because school's so particular mm -hmm. on saying you have to write in this way or like it's wrong. Um, and once I left that environment, I realized, oh, actually, you can write in whatever way people connect with and that there's many, many mm -hmm. ways that people connect to language or to writing or to content in general. Um, and so just following all these thoughts and curiosities is really what led me, um, I'd say, down the path of self-improvement, of just, you know, mm -hmm. thinking about other people, thinking about myself, um, seeing myself in other people and realizing that anything I, I learned about myself applied to other people and vice versa. Anything I observed in other people was something that I could apply to myself in some context as well. Mm -hmm. The similarities of it all. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I love it. So pretty much you, how to start out emotions. You've come out with self-reflection, problem solving, yeah. dialogue learning. Yeah. Those are yeah you, my core, core things. Um, other than imagination in general, I think imagination is a beautiful mm, thing. Creativity, imagination, yeah, creativity yeah. and imagination. Um, and mm -hmm. I try and get imagination and creativity from so many different places. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, from reading, from watching, any type of visuals, you know, whether those visuals are on my phone or they're in, you know, on my laptop or whether when I'm walking around, I love looking at houses in the architecture. Like I love looking at the beautiful things that the world has to offer, looking at trees and how they're shaped differently and flower. So just general observation and appreciation for the planet and everything that exists on it um, gives, gives my brain, I think, the freedom to make interesting connections that it wouldn't otherwise make. Because I really do think that everything is as beautiful as everything else. And that really it's just changing and switching perspectives to be able to understand and see that beauty within other things. Um, and I learned that a lot from, I'd say my customers in my glassblowing business, that I can, mm -hmm. I can make something and no matter how it turns out, someone in the world will think it's beautiful, no matter how ugly I think it is. Wow, There's going to be someone powerful. who thinks it's absolutely not only beautiful, but the most beautiful thing they've ever seen. Um, and so that's a crazy concept to open up your brain to, mm -hmm. to think, well, if they could see it that way, then I could see it that way. And like, what is that perspective that makes it beautiful to them? Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of the concept as above, so below? 
have not. So like the concept where everything that is above us is cycling through the same way we cycle through everything below us cycles through like how we have cells and the cells have their own little ecosystem doing their thing. And above us, there's a planetary system of universe going around us. And we're so trivial to the universe, but a cell is so trivial to us, but it all creates to equal one Ooh, yeah, I like that. as above, so below. It's cool. What you're talking about in a lot of ways, this whole observ observation appreciation really reminds me of that where it's all beautiful and integral in this really big ecosystem blanket that we all live in. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's very true. And I like that kind of cellular analogy too, mostly because I'm a, I'm a science background. Um, but also because <laughs> even though one cell is usually insignificant, um, it also can be the cell that changes everything. Um, and in the body, exactly. usually it's a crash in the system when you have like an abnormality, but sometimes, right? Like um, let's say in random gene expression that someone will have a gene expressed where that cell gives them some su almost superhuman ability. Um, so I think, you know, that's each one of us has that power where of course it's, it's not going to happen very often and there have to be the right, I would say um, environmental circumstances and factors that all play into it. But any one person has the ability to kind of, you know, change the entire universe, so to speak, and how it functions mm -hmm. not only now, but forever on afterward, um, the same way that mm -hmm. one cell could, you know, be expressed or mutate in a way that forever onwards, that entire species is now different. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty incredible bringing you back to kind of where we started, how video is a medium that is so accessible to everyone allowing that individual being to be able to create that mass movement consistently. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the ways I was thinking about it earlier is if a picture is worth a thousand words, a video is worth at least a thousand pictures. Um, and in the literal mm -hmm. sense, a video is typically made up of like a thousand pictures, right? It's like one, one mm -hmm. picture after the other, like stop motion. You can kind of think of it just in a fluid sense. Um, and I really believe that video has that power because if if the reason a picture has a power is because it makes us feel things when we look at it, a video does that even more because it combines that visual with auditory. And sound is mm -hmm. so powerful to our emotions. Um, it's actually one of the most powerful things to our emotions. Besides sometimes, interestingly enough, smell, um, which is something mm -hmm. maybe to think about, like, are they going to find a way to combine smell with with video and, and audio that would be crazy smell a vision right <laughs> yeah have you ever been to the uh, disney parks where they do there's a video playing and they've got mist hitting you and they throw a smell when it comes that direction yeah, yeah. they've got these multi-sensory experiences and i think you're spot on they've done it there in a theme park but how quickly will they get it so it's your phone now gives you the right? same sensory experience exactly augmented reality-esque feel yeah that'd be super powerful yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to change topics, but also kind of stay on topic. What is just an outside question? Cause I'm curious. And I ask a lot of people who can play in this space. What is consciousness to you? Ooh, that's a great question. So I think consciousness describes to me the larger whole that comprises, I'd say subconscious. And I don't know what to call the other thing for conscious. Um, okay. But basically there's the consciousness you have where you are fully aware and it is within your focus to some degree. Um, and then there's your subconscious, which I would say contains 
almost everything else that you've recorded as data within the computer bank of your brain. So, you know, throughout your day, you see many things, you hear many things, um, you smell things, you feel things. And all of those are your brain records as data. And it puts it, I believe, in your subconscious. Now, there's different levels and layers. Some of it's super deep, and you probably don't even have the ability really to access it. Um, some of it's, you know, going to pop up in a random moment and make you feel like you had deja vu. Um, and some of it is very close to your foreconscious, where you can actually kind of reach in and grab at it. Um, and so that's that's what I think of as consciousness as a whole. I think when People talk about it a lot of times when, like when human beings talk about it, we're talking about our self-awareness more than we are just mm -hmm. a state of consciousness. Um, but I think, mm -hmm. yeah, I think awareness is something and, and self-awareness is something completely separate from consciousness. I think consciousness is something that all creatures for the most part have, at least in the subconscious mm -hmm. format, um, if not in, you know, the, the con fully conscious format as well. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, so from consciousness, how do emotions fit into consciousness? Ooh, that's a really great question. Um, so I think emotions fit into consciousness tied in with, I think memory is a really powerful and important component of consciousness. Um, so it's it's what ties a lot of times our emotions to a particular incident. So I think when you take away memory, most creatures are left with the, the base brain kind of functions of consciousness, which is, you know, fight or flight to, to the basic basics. Mm -hmm. um, so in a state of reactiveness of either I'm safe or I'm in dan danger. So pretty binary. Um, and of course there's emotions mm -hmm. tied to that, like fear, um, or you know, contentedness, um, probably some amount of joy or happiness. Um, but I think when we're talking about more complex emotions that human beings tend to, um, you know, feel in in a different capacity than any other animal, that comes down to the self. I think the self awareness factor, um, and really more deeply connecting a memory with a particular outcome or a previous emotion. So I think that's that's something I don't know if that's unique to, to human beings, certainly to the degree we experience it. Um, I think dogs can remember mm -hmm. previous emotions they've had, but our ability to truly mm -hmm. remember how we felt in a previous time, I think is way highly developed compared to any other animal. Mm -hmm. And so when we remember something, we experience, and again, different people experience this to different degrees, um, and also it varies mm -hmm. between different strengths of memory. Typically, the stronger um, you kind of have a, a grasp on the memory, the stronger the emotion that is tied to it. But we can sometimes very easily go back to certain memories and feel almost the exact same strength of the emotion as when it happened. Um, and that's crazy thing to think about, though. We can do that. Um, not mm -hmm. only by accident, mm -hmm. but on purpose. Like I can, I can, you know, hype myself up by thinking about another time when I won or I executed or accomplished something because I'm. It's a form. Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah. yeah, it's a form of yeah, time you travel. Literally, are reliving that moment. You're yeah. going back in time and living within that moment inside of your your memory. Because the cool thing to think about is 
we process time through our brain, which means that when we process a memory, which is a form of time through our brain, it, it literally is like a form of time travel. You literally are going back to a time. And especially if you're of the kind of theology that I am where um, the, the fourth dimension is something that if we could see it externally, then we could travel into it. A great, a great book um, that kind of demonstrates these concepts very, very well is called Flatline or Flat, Flatland. Yeah, Flatland, um, where the, the cool. idea is an ant on a 3D circle piece of paper only ever sees a plane. They don't know they're on a three-dimensional object. And so if you just upgrade that one level, we are on a three-dimensional plane and the, we just are too small, we're too minuscule in size to be able to see the fourth dimension. Um, and I definitely think that that fourth dimension could be time. It, it could be something else entirely, like energy or um, something else that I, I wouldn't even have a name for. But I definitely think we're just too small to see it in the grand scheme of how giant the universe is. Um, but that it is something... Mm -hmm that we have the ability to tap into and, and perceive in different ways. Mm -hmm. Spot on. I love it. Um, okay. So you mentioned, and this is kind of why I'm really glad you, you're doing well on bringing this back up in our first conversation, we talked about empaths and you talked about how emotions and memory people experience this differently. Right. And in the world today, there are a group of people who would consider themselves empaths. Right. What is, and we've t spoken about that and you kind of have self-identified as that as well. What, what is an empath to you? What does that, what does that even mean? Yeah, to me, that means someone who's skilled at, um, I would say ac accessing that part of their brain or let's say flexing that part of their brain or using that part of their brain that allows them to experience emotions more deeply. Um, whether that's someone else's emotions, whether that's their own emotions, whether that's just a perspective of someone they've never met, but they can imagine themselves mm -hmm. in a particular emotional place that they've never been before. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, to me, what an empath is. Yeah, really good. Um, how did you discover that that is something that you related with? Um, it was mostly, I would say, a discovery that other people weren't all that way. So I think, you know, growing up, um. you think kind of everyone's like you, right? You're like, huh, like, doesn't right. everyone feel this way? Um, and then realizing, you know, throughout time, just meeting different people and, again, reflecting on, on how I reacted versus other people reacted, but also just talking to other people about their feelings, like them literally telling me, how they mm -hmm. felt when they experienced things and me realizing I felt different during those exact, that I could go through the exact same thing and feel something completely different than someone else. Um, and, and then, you know, reflecting back on why that was um, coming to the conclusion that I've mm -hmm. just always been more connected and value it. Part of it's a value. So I value my feelings so much. Um, and I've never, no yeah, matter how, how much anyone's ever told me, I, I shouldn't. I've always felt like, how could that possibly be true when like right. the only thing that makes right. you happy in life and life feel like good and worth living is your feelings. Like it, it directly comes from that. Um, and so just trying to mm -hmm. figure out, okay, if feelings are so important, but then you get all these messages growing up of like, 
your feelings don't matter right now or like your feelings don't matter at all mm -hmm. um and trying to yeah suppress, suppress, suppress. Repress, and just always trying to figure out why why people were telling me those things when i inherently felt like it would be better a different way um and then i've just always kind of been a rebel and like acted against i'd say the rules that were set set forth for me and feeling that the the benefit and joy i got from that always kind of outweighed whatever consequence or whatever bad thing people told me was supposed to happen um like i never felt mm -hmm. that i was really doing anything wrong for the most part um like you know up to mm -hmm. in my high school years i i did have a little run where i i stole things from stores um definitely not proud of of mm -hmm. those moments and like that was certainly more of a bored selfish type of thing but outside of that when people yeah, exactly. But outside of that, you know, I grew up in a household where I wasn't allowed to ride a skateboard because it was dangerous or scooters because it was dangerous. And wow. so I always felt I was like, you can tell me it's dangerous, but shouldn't I be the judge of whether that danger is worth the happiness that I, I get from it? Um, and so mm -hmm. just growing up in that environment, I always had a feeling of like, people don't know what's best for me. Only I know what's best for me. And I might make mistakes through through that process. but I'll at least figure out really, really, truly what is best for me. And I'll learn more about myself versus trying to just, you know, again, suppress, repress, adapt to what other people are telling me is like the right way. Um, and I've always felt that being happy is, is the right way. And if you can't be happy, then there is no right way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. I agree that valuing feelings is really intriguing because I think a lot of people today value information. It's a very information heavy uh, existence that we live. Do you believe in the mind, body, soul balance? And has that come into play with you as an empath? Yeah, absolutely. So I think your brain is like a super, again, it's like a supercomputer, and you just can't run it super hard all the time in any particular area, or the machine kind of overheats or like something tends to go awry. Um, and yeah, so I've really, I've really started to learn about the balance um, that allows my computer to last the longest and perform the best. So mm -hmm. that includes actual rest where my computer's on shutdown. Um, mm -hmm. It includes, I would say, running processes that allow it to heal. So kind of like on your computer when you run um, a, what do you call it, like a, a virus check or mm -hmm. um, any type of uh, self-reflection yeah self-reflection or even like mm -hmm. when you run one of those processes that cleans up all the mm -hmm. extra files on your computer and creates more mm -hmm. space on your computer like that's really important I, I kind of think about that like meditation like meditation clears out some of that clutter from your your brain um, and your emotions consequently um, and it opens you up for m more good things to kind of come into your life um, and at the same time that that space is kind of like a nice, nice breath of fresh air when you're feeling kind of overwhelmed or like you have, let's say, too many tabs open on your on your Chrome browser, right? Like meditation helps close some of those tabs down and then lets you relook mm -hmm. at your browser and go, okay, cool. Let me focus on these couple things and you feel a lot better about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very intriguing. How do you, and the soul, How because you talked about the mind, oh. meditation is kind yes. of soul and body. What do you hit with the soul? So I think that, that. 
Yeah, soul is nurtured through, I think, really almost everything you do. Um, and the more you can figure out how everything you are doing in your life can add nurture or um, growth or support to your soul, the more mm -hmm. your soul grows, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think the soul is a static thing. I think it's kind of a yep. responsive, alive thing. And the more you feed it with, again, things that are good for it or that help it to feel supported, the the more it deepens or the more it grows um, in a way. And so for me, that's, you know, dogs are a really important part of my life because I feel the purity of their love in such a way that changes changes me and makes me better. Yep. Um, and whatever I have to give up in terms of travel, in terms of things that I want in my life to, to have the responsibility of really taking care of them, it always reminds me to to try to try and be in good as pure as my dogs. I never will be. Their their love is just too amazing. <laughs> but that's it's good for me to have that role model yeah. of my dog's yeah. love around me. Um, I would say yep. you know same thing with whenever I cook food and I don't like to cook, but whenever I do cook food, I really think about like nourishing my body and I think about mm -hmm. you know fueling myself and taking care of myself. And so I just try try to always have a perspective on whatever moment I'm in that helps to nourish my soul. Mm -hmm. It's very cool. Really, really cool. Have you found, because as myself, I kind of self-identify as an empath as well. Have you found that boundaries have come into play pretty heavily in allowing yourself to kind of when those emotions get, because how do you balance when, what emotions you feel, what you don't feel when they're too intense or if they are someone else's, how do you decide what's yours versus others? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I have really firm boundaries in terms of negative thoughts. Um, I mm -hmm. think negative thoughts in general are the, the kind of like the poison to a human being and to life in general um, in that you can think about negative things or about the negative parts of things without actually having any negative thoughts. It can actually be thought about very constructively. Um, in a kind of excited, like, oh, here's a solution to this problem kind of way. Mm -hmm. I think when I say mm -hmm. negative thoughts, I mean thoughts that are both negative and have a negative emotion attached. So it doesn't have to be that the thought's negative, but if it has a negative emotion tied to it, I, I have kind of given myself a firm boundary and permission to completely shut that thought out of my mind. And if someone else tells me I should be thinking about it, I know that it just won't help me and that there's some other way I could think about that issue or whatever does need to awesome. be thought about um, without without that specific thought, right? Because I'm talking about the specific words in mm -hmm. my head that think, mm -hmm. hey, you're not good enough or, hey, mm -hmm. you might mess this up. And so if I think, hey, mm -hmm. you might mess this up or, hey, even like if I have a big speech coming up and the thought in my head goes, hey, you feel ner like it's a self-awareness thought of, hey, you feel kind of nervous. I'll change that. I'll go, no, no, no. I feel really excited. And and that, yep. so first it starts just with being really good at identifying your emotions and putting a label to it, either verbally or in your head with a, um, you know, a word thought. But for me, that's been instrumental with creating those boundaries. Because if you can't create boundaries with your thoughts, you almost can't create boundaries with anything else. It's true. It's absolutely the first step. 
And is that how you relate with outside people as well? If they have negative thoughts, because there's a lot of people with negative oh, yeah. thoughts. How do you, how do you not come across overly corrective or, or do you just say that's not someone I want in my life? Yeah, no. So that's definitely something I struggle with more because I have those kind of firm boundaries. Um, and it's something, again, I have to be really aware of how I'm coming across and how I'm feeling within a moment and identifying where that's coming from. So um, I do, I do find myself at times irritated with people's negativity. Um, and the, again, I think the process of that is identify it and then quickly change my perspective. So instead of being annoyed that maybe they don't value their time as much or in the same way as I do, or being annoyed that they're talking about something that like I'm an expert in and they're talking about it at like kind of the, the third grader level. Um, instead, thinking about, you know, how amazing it is that this person's giving me their attention and how awesome it is that I have a real chance to provide them with value. Um, so when it comes to negativity, I do that in an empathetic type of way. So thinking, you know, this person's really hurting for whatever reason, and that's causing them to vocalize negativity and put out ne negativity instead of internalize it and, and deal with it and kind of um, you know, fix it, so to speak, because I do think negativity is like a problem. Like if ever there was a problem anyone had, it's negativity and not being, um, you know, optimistic with reason. I'm not saying be optimistic without any reasons behind it, but if you can be optimistic and find actual reasons why that optimism makes sense, like then you win. You win at life, you win at execution, you win at relationships. Um, and especially I would say in relationships, it's become a really big thing for me to realize if someone's negative and they're talking to me and I start to feel negative, like that I have to change my perspective and I have to put myself in a different space observationally than they are talking to me in. And so they can talk to me however they want, but if I can put myself in a different position, instead of being in the emotional space with them, I'm observing the emotional space and I can actually give them positivity from my emotional space of observation versus when I'm in the negative emotional space with them. Um, I, ca I can't, I can't really give them anything positive. And the, yeah, there's no contagion. Yeah. And the way that I do that um, typically is to think again, identify the negative feelings that I'm getting from them of like, Ooh, they're making me feel like really either frustrated or like really not optimistic about this thing. I was super optimistic about um, is that all, I'll construct some positive thoughts that allow me to feel something different. So it's very hard to operate in a positive way when you're feeling in a negative place. So sometimes you have to construct thoughts that will get you to a positive emotional place first, and then you can kind of take charge in a more sensical, reasonable way to, to validate that emotion. So it's almost like tricking your brain because um, mm -hmm. your brain will believe a lot of things at first. Now, it'll then start to question more and you have to come up with better reasons. But I think sometimes what I do is I quickly trick my brain into making me feel something positive so that then I have that positive feeling to assist in positive reasoning. It's hard to come up with positive reasoning when you're in a negative place. Almost all your thoughts mm -hmm. are going to be like crap, crap, crap thoughts. Mm -hmm. Really cool. Um, it leads me really nicely into the next question, which is going to be, 
what emotions on the positive side and the negative side do you experience most often on the day to day? Oh, great one. Yeah. So definitely the one, the positive ones I experience most often would be excitement. Um, I would say hope, um, curiosity, like tons of curiosity. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, accomplishment a fair amount. Like I feel, I feel good when I accomplish tasks that are difficult or that provide a lot of value. Um, also I'd say, you know, creative inspiration. So thinking a creative thought, but at the same time feeling, Ooh, I want to, to pursue that creative thought in some type of action Mm -hmm. of some sort, or I want to take that Mm -hmm. thought and make it in some form part of my reality. Um, those are, I'd say mostly the positive ones. Other ones would be again, like appreciation, definitely appreciation for my dogs and my husband and my family. Um, certainly like love and endearment for my husband. Um, so like lot, lots of good emotions centered around mm-hmm. my family. It's a lot. Um, yeah, a, a, a lot of really good emotions. And then I would say, you know, part of that is what helps with the negative emotions and me dealing with them so quickly is there's really an overwhelming amount of positivity in my life right now that it's much easier to think like, hey, like you're just in a negative spot. Get out of that real quick. Like you don't want to mm-hmm. stay here. Mm-hmm. Um, but those those negative emotions would be frustration. That's probably the one I experienced the most often because I am very deep as a reflective person. I am very deep in my own thoughts and reflecting on myself. Um, and so sometimes when I'm also highly engaged with many different people on a daily basis, one of those people will kind of start to annoy me because I'm thinking about, you know, how I do things and they're doing things completely different. Um, and so again, that just requires me to identify it, um, and, and change my perspective. And that's something pretty easy for me because I only have been in this place I am now recently. You know, I was in a different emotional place three months ago and six months ago. And, you know, I've been on a very, I'd say, up and down emotional journey for 10 years and really only gotten to mm-hmm. kind of this peak, um, this peak point at the top of the mountain in the past couple, you know, three to eight months, let's say, really three to six months. Um, and so while every day feels amazing and that kind of makes it feel like it's been this way forever, the truth mm-hmm. of it is that it hasn't. And I've lived in that emotional place and that emotional existence wh- where almost anyone else is existing right now. Like mm-hmm. no matter how you feel right now, I've been there. Um, and again, that's because I'm such a high level empath that some of the bad things that have happened to me, my brain has perceived as literally the most terrible things I could possibly think of and like felt like they were destroying my soul. Um, and so no, I haven't lost my husband or a son or my parents yet. Um, but it certainly felt like that in some of the moments that I was in. Um, so, you know, from that extreme to kind of this extreme of, of a lot of happiness, um, and also, you know, still experiencing some really, really happy moments, um, where like, you know, it feels like all the stars line up together. Um, that allows me to, you know, quickly go, hey, remember what it was like for you when you were there. Um, and that's a quick way, yeah. I think, to, to switch perspectives as well. Yeah, absolutely. Boom. I love it. It's epic. It's really, really cool. I appreciate you being able to deconstruct all this and then also be able to give it through your experiences and your stories because it's, uh, it's, it's fun to be able to talk with someone who understands being an empath and what that means. And maybe because I genuinely believe that everyone can be an empath. If yeah, they choose, I agree. 
I agree. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that helps me really gain perspective is having a husband who's very different in his brain chemistry than I am. Yeah. So where I am naturally an empath, he is, I would say, by environment, naturally not, but by his soul, naturally is. So like one of the reasons I fell in love with my husband is because I could feel from the moment I met him, just being around him, how sweet and kind his soul was. Um, you know, just yep. through the way he looks, he looks at people, the way he yep. talks, like just, it's a feeling. Um, but at the same time, has it has much, much more now. But when we started dating, had very little empathy in general. Like, it, because, again, because he grew up in a household where literally his parents taught him, your feelings are your problems and other f people's feelings are their problems. Like, mm -hmm. that's that's what he he grew up learning. Mm -hmm. um, and so when, when I would get upset, he'd be like, cool, that's like your problem to deal with. Come back to me when you feel better. <laughs> and well, me being yeah, the opposite, totally. I was like, why don't you care about me? Like, <laughs> I'm hurting right now. He's like, because that's your problem. I don't, and it, just a total incongruency on like yeah. that front gave me such, you know, a, another large chance to reflect on like, how can someone who I feel is the same level of empath as me, like in their soul, act without empathy towards people. And, right. and it really made me see that empathy both is something that you have in your DNA, but also is something you learn. Um, and it's yep. a very fascinating thing in, in that manner because there are some people who really it, just in their DNA are not very empathetic. Like they just don't get how you feel. Like they, mm -hmm. they don't, they try and they try really, really hard. Um, and they go through different exercises, but they just don't connect that way. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's other people who do really connect that way, but are, again, kind of terrible at expressing or communicating um, in an empathetic state. And therefore, they actually feel like it's a really bad thing. So they actually negatively identify with any form of empathy because it feels very uncomfortable to them that they feel something but have no idea how to how to deal with it or express it. It's kind of like if you imagine sitting next to someone who you care about and then you feeling their misery and you not knowing what to say and everything you try and say right. actually makes it feel worse. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, there's just so much confusion about empathy right now and like either you have it or you don't. But I really, really believe in, like, like you said, most people can develop a really high level of empathy, even if they are in that category where it's not natural to them. Yep. Our, our, we have such a powerful ability to get good at things that we're not naturally good at. And this is kind of opposite the message that is being pushed yep. out there, which is like, if you're not good at something, try something else or focus yep. on the things you are naturally good at. Mm -hmm. And really, um, a lot of science and data has shown that you trying at things you suck at is what makes your brain the strongest and helps you grow the most new cells. That you mm -hmm. overcoming and learning algebra when you're really bad at math or calculus when you're really bad at math makes you incredibly smart and smarter across all fields and applications. Yep, exactly. The limited mindset would say, try something you're great at. If you're not great at it, don't ever try it again because you suck at it. The right. growth mindset says, I tried it, I failed, I'm gonna try again, I failed, I tried again, I succeeded. Right, exactly. And I loved the journey and the process of learning through the education of it all. Exactly. And kind of learning the power of your own self, right? Yeah. Like we will never, we're like the night sky where you can look at the stars and kind of feel how many of them there are, but never really count how many. And that's mm -hmm. the power of our brain is like, 
we can even kind of comprehend how how powerful it is, but we will never fully tap into its power. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that journey of of being able to push the limits of our own brain capacity and our own humanity and our souls, I think, is a really um, amazing, awesome thing. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Um, I'm gr- grateful you brought up your husband in the process that how kind and sensitive is because as an empath myself, I've had a girlfriend speaking, which we got engaged yesterday. Oh my God. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, 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 no yeah. way. Yeah, that is yesterday. so great. I hope there's a, a fun story with it. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Um, for another time, probably. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I, what's cool though, about you talking about your husband is I found for her as well, she was very grounding to me because of that innate soul piece. But we also have very different perspectives on empathy and how, although we both are empathetic towards nature and soul and people and beings, and she's probably even more so towards animals than I am, I'm Mm -hmm. probably more so towards people. Mm -hmm. And just how that differences can really come together and show very nicely together, while also being different enough that it, it helps each other grow. Exactly. Yeah, no, we definitely, that's something we talk about is, you know, how we help each other grow and how our lives are better being together because Mm -hmm. of the, of the reflection um, and because of the teamwork. Like I wouldn't be able to grow as a person oftentimes without me asking for Ben's help. Um, Ben's my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, Or for me telling him, hey, here's the thing I'm struggling with and him going, you know what? I support you. Let's figure it out together. And just that, that feeling of having someone on your team when you have a problem that you've tried to solve on your own, but you're struggling with. Um, and I think that's true of, of any type of person or scenario, whether that's um, a teacher helping you, whether that's a mentor, whether that's anyone helping you. I think as human mm-hmm. beings, like we need help. We need help from each other. Um, and it's okay. And it's actually a good thing because it makes us stronger. Um, we are not just we are not just getting to, you know, 100% when we're being helped. We're getting to 120 or 150. We're like, we're, we're becoming more than we would on our own. Oh, yeah. Definitely. What are the, what are your future goals? Cause I mean, you're talking about a lot of cool things. What, what's your plan for the world and for yourself and for your family? How does that, what's that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So right now my kind of more short-term goals are creating, I would say more financial stability than I currently have um, through diversifying my income a little bit. Also, of course, like increasing my income a little bit, um, but also just looking and breaking down kind of my finances more, doing better Mm -hmm. budgeting, understanding Mm -hmm. how to implement some, you know, disciplines within finance that are going to benefit us long term. Um, And then I would say, you know, on my business side, I'm really trying to build a machine that can operate at scale as I would a human being. So a business that operates at scale, delivering empathy, delivering hope, um, inspiration, valuable, actionable information, um, and also helping other people succeed um, and helping other people and brands and businesses unlock the infinite potential that they already have um, by, by kind of helping them into some of those perspectives that allow them to see things and values that they've never seen before, but always existed. Um, and so that's something I've always done through, you know, I'm, I'm the oldest of four children. And so I've always helped my younger younger siblings learn things, whether it was math or, you know, this or that, um, and always found a really, really great joy in teaching and helping other people succeed. Um, mm-hmm. And so if I can create something at scale 
that does that both with my business and then longer term, um, I'd like to create, I'd say, educational systems or educational, uh, you know, support systems or processes or entities that really enable more people to have opportunity and to see what mm-hmm. opportunity even could could be for them. Um, so mm-hmm. I went to one of my experiences was in sixth through eighth grade, I went to a middle school called Aki Kurosi Middle School in the south part of Seattle. And I was one of about eight white kids out of eight to 900. So mostly black, um, a, a, you know, probably 10 to 20% Asian, but mostly black uh, middle school. And the information that's available in that type of setting is just not the same as in the next school I went to, which was a quite privileged, um, you know, 50 plus percent white high school. And the resources there and the information and just the the role models and the people were completely different. Um, and it's not that the kids at Aki Kurosi weren't as smart. Um, they just had literally no motivation to use any of their intellect because they didn't know that there were opportunities they would get from it. They thought like, why would you work hard? That's what suckers do. Like you're going to work hard to for nothing. Um, and so seeing what opportunities you can get from hard work or creativity or any of these good things um, that that we're able to do as a culture and society, I think is really, really important. And so I want to build things that, you know, bring visibility on opportunities to more people who, who have never seen that that's possible for them before. It's cool. In the very beginning of this, I, the question I wrote down was, do you have a way that school could be built? Ooh, yeah. So I've been thinking a lot about this for probably the past year um, on like what are different ways that education systems could exist. Um, and mm-hmm. really what I'm where I'm at right now, and this is definitely a, a thought process that always changes and evolves. But where I'm at right now is that um, skill is something that is actually very easy to learn. And information mm-hmm. is also very, very easy to learn. What mm-hmm. is hard actually is finding your passion. And what's mm-hmm. hard is understanding how to use your brain and how mm-hmm. to control your emotions and all these like base human functions. Those are actually yeah. the hardest. Once you yep. figure those out, learning is actually very, very easy. Um, and yeah, so I'd, I'd love to see a school system that, you know, teaches those kind of skills of like, here's how you can control different emotions or here's how you can, um, you know, think in different perspectives and, and really taught people more how to think instead of what to think and then gave yep. them time for them to choose what they wanted to learn about, um, mm-hmm. that that would produce something incredible where people were learning so much more information in such a shorter time than is typical. So that, you know, instead of by when you're 18 in the United States and you know a base amount of nothing, (laughs) right? Like you're okay at writing, you're okay at all these things that like really don't matter. Um, That instead people leaving, you know, 13 at 13 and 14 years old entering into what would be high school are already actually expert engineers and expert, um, you know, like scientists, like all these different things, because there's been so many examples of children who have already done this and achieved this. Yep. And it's always yep. been because they had the the resources provided typically by amazing parents of like, oh, we noticed he liked playing with, um, you know, cars. So we you know bought him this equipment and he started taking it apart and putting it back together, so to speak. Um, and a combination of that with passion, like they found 
you know, the parents noticed that that kid was really interested in something and they fostered. Yeah. And they nurtured and fostered that, that passion. Um, But we learn much more quickly than our education system is set up to accommodate. It, it actually slows down your learning of what you're very, very capable of um, yep. by, by making you so uninterested in it that you just don't retain any of the information in school. Um, and so it takes you a whole year to get one incremental step higher when really it should take probably a month. Like you could probably go you know, full grade steps up in a month of immersion in something you are passionate about and couldn't mm-hmm. stop thinking about. Um, so mm-hmm. I'd love to experiment and work with other people who are interested in creating systems centered around that that type of concept. Perfect. And that leads me to next. How can other people help you accomplish the goals that you're trying to accomplish? Yeah. So I, I'd say I'm very interested in being um, an advisor in terms of um, either this kind of, of thing that we're talking about, which I would mm-hmm. call psychology. Like I, I am not, I have not ever been to school for psychology, but I have a large amount of observational experience um, just from working with and talking to and being around so many different people in so many different situations. Um, and then also, of course, in a, in a social media aspect. So if I really believe in, you know, what a company's doing, I'd love to be an advisor for, for that company on how they can get their message and what they're doing out to more people in a way that's more impactful. Um, Cause certainly cool. I think there's a lot of, a lot of really amazing organizations happening right now that are, are not going to get traction because they just can't communicate really the power of what they're doing, or they can't get other people to see the vision that they see themselves. Yeah. Spot on, spot on. Uh, how do people actually like, contact you how do they how do they find you yeah so you can search my name m-a-a-y-a-n last name g-o-r-d-o-n either on linkedin or if you google it a bunch of podcast episodes will pop up um usually those have links to my my social profiles if not you can also email me my email is kind of fun it's monkeyboyarts with an s at gmail.com perfect 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 bam this has been good I appreciate it. We got to talk about the emotions and consciousness and connecting, and it really ties it all together really nicely. Yeah, no, I appreciate it a lot. Human beings are, we're complex. We're very complex. But if you can start breaking down one thing at a time, um, you see that it's less complex Mm -hmm. and more interconnected. Um, And those seem like sometimes the same thing, but they're really not. And interconnectivity is something so beautiful and balancing of its own. Um, that when you start to see what it is, it's very motivating to work on anything because you realize, oh, this is going to help me with everything. It's spot on. And honestly, I think it comes down to that first piece is how do you have the self-reflection? Yeah, you know, that's a great question because I've, I've talked with people before and they have trouble or like a, a good example is when I first met my husband, um, we would, you know, be hanging out together on the couch or whatever. And I'd be like, what are you? Th-? I'd be kind of deep in my own thoughts. And then I'd pause and realize, oh, I wonder what he's thinking about. And I'd ask him and he'd go, uh, nothing. And I like didn't understand how he was. Li- he was literally not thinking any like formed thoughts. He was like just kind of sitting there. And like, and human beings can exist in this way where they're like actually not doing any amount of reflection. And so how do you move from that state to one of 
you know, a lot of reflection or at least some amount of reflection. Um, and again, I think it starts with identifying single individual thoughts. You don't have to identify the complexity of what you're thinking about or think, what's the idea I'm thinking about? It's like, what's one word that was in my head? What's one image that I thought yeah. of? And the more you start to identify um, within yeah. yourself what you're thinking about, the stronger that ability becomes. So identifying thoughts and feelings is a complete yeah, is a complete skill. So define yeah, exactly. Defining it is um, something that takes practice. So you just have to start small mm -hmm. and kind of through repetition and progress build from there. Spot on. Really, really cool. Man, Gordon, I appreciate it. This has been very, very helpful. Of course, Dan. I appreciate you having me yeah. on. Of course, of course. This is actually connecting where consciousness, emotions, and connecting come first. My name is Dan Brew. If you're interested, subscribe. And I'm very excited that we got to speak with you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Of course. Thank you again. Like what you heard? Give it a share. Want to talk about it? Comment or like below. Have a great rest of your day. This is the Actually Connecting Podcast.